Hey, good morning, GF family. My name is Pastor Rodney Wilkinson. Man, to our church body, our online following, we miss y'all like crazy. We're so thankful uh, that you guys are here to jump into God's word this morning. So I want to encourage you to get a copy of God's word. Um, you can have a virtual copy. You can have a good old fashioned uh, physical Bible with you that you can dive into our text together. You can find me in John chapter 17, uh, starting at verse six. We're gonna jump into God's word. Uh, before I do, I just wanna say, man, thank you to Pastor Jim, who shared God's word with us last week, talking about impossible prayers. We got some great feedback from you guys on that message. And so I wanna continue in that same vein uh, on this topic of prayer. It's pertinent at a time like this. So I wanna encourage you to prepare your hearts for that. As we get into the word, I want to start with a poem by Robert Hamilton. It says this. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and not a word said she, but all the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Man, right now we get to see Jesus at a time where he is about to experience some great suffering. Suffering like no one has seen up until that point and no one has seen since. He's getting ready to go into this, this, this great time of suffering and challenge and burden. But right before he does, he takes his disciples into this upper room and he's having this conversation with his disciples, what theologians would call the upper room discourse. It is this chat that Jesus has with his disciples to get them ready for his exodus off the earth. He teaches them and teaches them and pours into them. And you can find this discourse in John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. And he's talking to them and he's serving them. and He's talking about servant leadership. So he's washing the disciples feet. He's explaining to them that he is the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit and although he is getting ready to exit off the scene, he's, he's sending the Holy Spirit that's gonna walk with them and counsel them and convict them of sin. So he's not leaving them alone. And then he talks to them about how he is the true vine and if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. But if you don't abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. He tells him that he's leaving, but to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. He's having this discussion with his disciples to prepare them for him leaving. And then we get to John chapter 17. And what we see in John chapter 17 is absolutely amazing. It is Jesus modeling prayer right before his disciples and right before you and I. So we get to see our Savior engage in prayer right before moments of great suffering. And that's good for us right where we live, right where we work, right where we play. If you're suffering this morning, if you're challenged this morning, if you're confused this morning, if you're angry this morning, if you're joyful this morning, if things are going well this morning, we can learn a lot about prayer listening to our Savior. So you can find me in John chapter 17, Verse 6 through 19 says this. Jesus talking. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. 
for I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me and I'm praying for them. That's a good word this morning. And I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them have been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and your word has, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I want to talk to you about three things this morning. Number one, the praying priest. Uh, point number one, Father, I stretch my hands. And point number two, after prayer. Let's pray. Father, we need you this morning. We need your strength and your boldness. We need your wisdom and your love. We need your compassion. God, would you grant us all we need for this time? So, Father, would you stand in me? Would you think through my mind? Would you speak through my mouth so that your people may know you more closely and deeply, that they'll walk with you and commune with you, that they would trust you in prayer? So, God, I pray for that for your people this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Point number one, Father, I stretch. Um, uh, man, this is a busy season for us. Now, some of you that may know me will say, Rodney, you are, you are always in a busy season. And yeah, that's probably reflective of some type of inner sin in my life in which causes me to run faster than I should and try to do more than I should. But this is not a confessional, so we could talk about that later. It, it, uh, in, anyways, it's, it's a busy season. There's just a lot going on. Um, I'm married to a beautiful woman. I got four amazing children. Um, have oversight over gospel fellowship, uh, just a lot of stuff between uh, our family. This is in school starting back a little bit early for us. This is just a very busy, busy time. And so, man, there's just a lot going on. And one of the things I was thinking about this week with so much going on, it's just, man, what should be the believer's reaction when life is hectic? When things are so busy, it's hard for you to remember what day it is or what's your next assignment. What should be the believer's response in a pandemic or in an economy that's not going the way it should for that individual? Or if they feel abandoned or if they feel betrayed or if they feel forsaken, what should the believer's response be? 
And what we find in our text is that Jesus gives us insight into how the believer should respond. And this first point is important. Here's how we respond. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. Now, some of you know that as a hymn that goes something like this. Father. I won't sing the rest of it, but you get the picture if you know the hymn. Or for some of you, as you're a little bit more modern, maybe you're thinking about the Kanye song, his last album, Father, Father I Stretch My Hand to Thee. It's this idea that, that, that life is hectic, things are crazy, I'm, I'm, I'm moving fast and I need help, so I gotta stop what I'm doing and stretch my hands to the Father. Here's why the Father knows the schedule. The Father knows the challenge. The Father knows lack of resources. The Father knows what's in, impeding your progress for whatever it is you're trying to do. The Father knows. That, that's important. And because he's dad and he cares and he has grafted me into his family, he is deeply concerned with not just my righteousness, but he's also concerned with how I'm processing life. We see this in the book of Hebrews, that we have a high priest who can be touched by our, by our feelings and our infirmity. So father, daddy, pops, I stretch. This idea of surrender, it's this idea of life is too much for me now, so I can't go any further, I need help. I was talking to a dear brother this week and kind of sharing that same sentiment that life is too much now. It is, it is too hard now. It's gone past my intellect, past my resources, past my understanding, and, and I'm, I'm breaking because I don't know what to do next. Here's the answer, Father, I stretch. And you step to him with all your unanswered questions. You step to him with your confusion. You, you step to him with your anger. Father, I stretch. It's this idea that I'm admitting I need God. You never grow past that in your maturity as a, quest, as a Christian. I need Jesus. Step in, Lord. Show up, God. Just even if you don't change anything, change me. I need God. The second thing Father Stress does is somehow, some way, and I wish I can describe it, God has a way of strengthening you in prayer. I wish I can give you a mechanism in, in, in seven points or, or, or three steps to how God strengthens you in prayer. But we, listen, we are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. Somehow our spirit is strengthened when we come to God in prayer. And so, man, we need to remember that when you are weighed down, when you are tired, I'm so thankful for the conversation we had last week on mental health and praise God for every mental health counselor. But I also want to say to you, we can go to God in prayer and he has a way of strengthening us in our time of need. As we talk about prayer, this is not the beat up sermon on prayer. This is not for me to tell you how long to pray. Not for me to tell you the words to pray when you're praying. Whether you should pray in the morning or pray at night, uh, whether you should pray the word of God, just pray what's on your mind. I'm, it's not that sermon. I'm not so concerned with the quantity of your prayer or the, the mode of your prayer as I am concerned with the object of your prayer. I want the object of your prayer 
to be Christ alone. Christ alone, that, that cornerstone that when you come, don't come in any other name. Don't come in your own righteousness. Don't come in your own strength. Don't come with your resume. Don't come with how you've been, you know, whatever. Come to Jesus in Christ alone. It is his object because as we come to him, he's the one that delivers, that sets free, that ministers, that strengthens, that equips, that convicts. Come to, come to Jesus. And so this is what we see Jesus doing. We see Jesus coming to the Father in prayer. And here's what he says to the Father. He says, Father, I have, I have demonstrated, I have manifested your name. What that means is he, he has demonstrated God's character to God's people. Many times in the Bible, when we see names, it's not just names, it's in terms of what I call you. It's, it's speaking of character and what Jesus is saying to the Father is, Father, I have demonstrated your character to the people. In other words, I've done what you've called me to do. Then he says in verse six, you have given me people out of this world. This is this idea of election. And this is important because we have been chosen. And it wasn't based on how good you are or your own merit or who your mama and daddy was. It's based on God's election, him choosing you and calling you out of this world and grafting you into his family. This is what Jesus says. The people you have called out of this world, you've given to me. And then he says in verse eight that he has given them his word. So Jesus says, God, you've given me these people out of the world, and here's what I'm doing. I'm giving them your word. This word here means doctrine. In other words, Jesus says, I have been teaching them the ways of the kingdom. I have been teaching them really, really good news. He's given them the truth about who Jesus is. He's the son of God. And what, what Jesus has come to do, he's come to down the cross for our sins. So in other words, he's taught them the Trinity. He's taught them sacrificial atonement. He taught them that he is the Lord and Savior. He's taught them what it looks like to see the Father. This is why Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've already seen the Father. Jesus comes to manifest the Father down on earth. So in short, Jesus says, I've given them good news. I've given them the way of salvation. I've given them the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then he says that these believers that you've called out of the world and I've taught them and I've demonstrated in word and in deed who you are, they have brought glory to me. I want to slow down there because I want us to understand when, when, when we walk as Jesus has called us to walk, we are glorifying him. We are making much of Jesus. We are proclaiming his name in our word and in our deed. Jesus says, and I've received glory for them. He goes further into verse nine and he says, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. Now, let's be really, really clear, because if you're reading that passage, you may say to yourself, wait a minute, he's, he's, is it that God won't pray for the world? Well, let's think about this for a second, because John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave. Jesus coming is a declaration of his love. We know that even as Jesus is being crucified on the cross, he is saying, Father, forgive them. Those that are crucifying him, 
Forgive them for they know not what they do. So we know Jesus loves people. We know Jesus even loves his enemies. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter five, he tells us to to do good and to pray for our enemies. So what is this? What is this kind of intercession that he's doing for those that God has given them? Well, it's sort of like my kids. I love kids. I really, really do. I love your kids. You got kids? I love your kids. You know, we got great kids at Gospel Fellowship. I love them. But my love for my kids are different. I, I, I love your kids, but I may not buy them an iPad. I may not buy them what I'll buy my kids. Why? They're mine. And for my kids, I have concentrated love for them. I have concentrated love for them. Why? They're my kids. And you love your kids differently than you love other kids. This is what Jesus is doing. He's praying and interceding for his own. And this is important for us to know. He's interceding for us. It was that great poet, Sade, who will say it this way, this ain't no ordinary love. No ordinary love. The type of intercession that one makes for their own is different from the intercession one makes for everyone. And this is what Jesus is doing. One of my loves as a pastor, and this happened last week, I, I got a text or something on Facebook, and it just said, Pastor Rod, praying for you, you are in our thoughts, you are in our prayers, thinking about you and Kaisha and the kids. Uh, man, be encouraged, man, I love that. It, it's a blessed thing to know that someone is praying for you, that someone is lifting you up before God. Man, my mom would call me sometimes, she said, Rodney, I'm, I'm praying for you. Well, thank you, mom, thanks for praying for me. But when Jesus says he's praying, this ain't your mama's prayers. Maybe you're in a life group or a D group, and I'll talk about those leaders in just a minute that I love to death. Uh, but, but, but this ain't your leaders of your community group praying for you. And this ain't even Pastor Rod praying for you. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, I'm praying for you right now, God the Son is praying for you, is interceding for you. And that is incredibly good news. I'm thankful that you are praying. I'm thankful that your groups are praying and your family is praying and the church is praying and pastors are praying. I'm thankful for all of that. But this ain't just no human prayers. The God of heaven is right now interceding for you over your situation, over your circumstance, over your challenge, over your confusion right now. God is praying. And it, and it just causes me to wonder, in the midst of a pandemic and so much confusion and, and, and really a lot of untrust and, and racial, uh, racial complications in our culture and black versus white and Republican versus Democrat and, and, and conservatives versus liberal and with all of this back and forth and bickering and fighting and at each other's throat, it's good to know somebody still sits on the throne. Somebody has not left his place as king and this king is interceding. It's praying on behalf, behalf of others. So if you're single this morning and you're just like, man, when, when is the woman of God or when is the man of God going to show? God's understand. Jesus is praying. If you're married and you're wondering, man, I, I wish this person never showed up. I want you to know Jesus is praying. <laughs> if you're having financial challenges or if, if you're making more money than you ever dared dream, I want you to know in both cases, Jesus is praying. If you're lonely, if you're 
if you're fearful, if you're full of faith, if you're confused, if you have great clarity, if you're overwhelmed, if you're discouraged, if you're joyful, whatever state you find yourself in this morning, it is good to know that Jesus is praying for me. And because he's Jesus, the Father is hearing Jesus's prayers. This is Jesus doing what high priests do. You may remember in the Old Testament, there was a high priest who would go one day a year and make atonement for sins for all of the nation and for himself. He would go in to this place called the tabernacle and go into the inner court and then go to this place called the holies of holies. And once a year, he would offer a sacrifice for sin. He would kill this, this lamb without spot or blemish. And he would offer that on behalf of the people for their sins and his sins. And he had to do it right because he was a priest. He, he, he represented the people to God and he represented God to the people. He's this mediator, he's this mediator, he's, he's go, this go-between. He has to get it right. And he's there and, and, and one of the ways he would prepare for this event on uh, one day a year, this day of atonement, one of the ways the priest would prepare is by prayer. So now you look at John chapter 17 and you see Jesus getting ready to make the sacrifices to end all sacrifices, who is offering his body as a sacrifice. He is the priest that does not just bring an offering, he is the offering. And one of the ways this priest prepares is through prayer. He would go and intercede on our behalf and prepare for this sacrifice through prayer. If Jesus prepares with prayer, how much more do we need to prepare in prayer? And what is he requesting in this prayer? A couple of things. Number one, he's praying. This is, this is good. This is good. This is good. He's praying that God would keep them. Now, some of y'all watching, y'all like Rodney, well, well, that don't sound like much. Beloved, that's everything. If God don't keep us, we can't be kept. Your pedigree doesn't keep you. Your degrees does not keep you. Your money does not keep you. The fact that you've been going to church all your life can't keep you. If God don't keep you, thank you, Lord, you can't be kept. Many of you all know this, that Pastor Rod's favorite restaurant, without question, is Ruth Chris. Matter of fact, some of you, God is calling right now to be a blessing to your pastor. Send a gift card to Ruth Chris. I'll look out for Pastor Seth too and says, Pastor Seth loves Ruth Chris too. He's raising his hand, testifying that he loves Ruth Chris. It is that place where steaks taste like bubble gum. There's no way I can explain it. Uh, it the, the service is impeccable. The ambiance is incredible. It is, it is that place. It's not, it's not a Sunday after church place. No. It's every now and again kind of place. Got to make sure your shekels are together when you go there. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit pricey. But, but it's this place that when I go with me and my wife, my kids have never been to Ruth Chris. No, kids can go somewhere else. This is, this is me and my sweet thing place. And, and, and when we go, we make RSVPs. We make reservations. Why? I don't want anybody to be sitting at my table when I go there. I don't want to wait. I want great service. So I make my reservation, I tell them what time I'm going, and then I show up, and, and they take me right to my table. Here's the idea. This table has been kept for the Wilkinsons. 
This table has been reserved. So no one else can sit there because the table's been reserved. In the same way, Jesus is praying, Father, RSVP them, please. Reserve them. Keep them. And it's, 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 it's not so much your ability uh, to, to keep yourself. It's placing you. God is placing us in the hand of an almighty God who, if anybody in this world knows how to keep us, God knows how to keep us. And that's good news because sometimes we think when we mess up, God's through with us. Let me just say this unequivocally to you. He's not through with you yet because he has keeping power. He has RSVP power and he knows how to keep you. He knows how to keep you. So through this pandemic, the reason why you have not utterly lost your natural mind because you've been kept. This is why you woke up this morning, is because you've been kept. With the use and the activity of your limbs, is because you've been kept. And maybe you say, well, Rodney, that's not my story. I lost some stuff. And, and, and maybe you lost some stuff, but I still want to say to you, you've lost some stuff, but he didn't lose you. You, 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 you lost some things and you experienced some pain, but, but the pain you experienced did not disqualify you from being kept by him because he knows how to keep people that are experiencing pain. He knows how to keep people that are experiencing depression. He knows how to keep people that feel lost and lonely and forgotten. He's a keeper. He's a keeper. And this is why even if you've lost and even if this year has been the worst year on record in your life and nothing has gone your way and you feel forsaken and forgotten and you've lost some stuff, the good news is this morning that at least you had mind enough to go to Facebook, to click on Gospel Fellowship. In all the midst of all of your go through, you had sense enough to go to God. What justifies that? How do you explain that? What makes you keep going to him even through the pain and the loss? It's his keeping power, drawing you even when you don't want to be drawn. Even when you're walking in the opposite direction, he has a way of sending the hound of heaven to come find you and draw you back to himself. This is the God we serve. Verse 15, he says, he asked God that you would keep them and that you would keep them from the evil one. I want to remind us, maybe we forgot we're in a battle. And Satan is doing all he can to distract us and to deter us and to make us give up and for us to see other things that's more important than the things that God's called us to do. He's, he's, he's in a fight for us. He's stealing our attention. He's trying to steal our focus. And God is praying. He's praying. He's praying. This is powerful. He's praying. Keep them from the evil one. Our last point today is after prayer, after prayer. This is just not an admonition for you to spend quiet time with God, although I want you to do that. This is not a call just to return to your CBR journals and to spend time in prayer, although I want you to do that too. It is far more than your quiet time. The goal of Christianity is not just for you to have a really good quiet time and to have your cup of coffee and to look out over a lake. Praise God for all of that, but that's not the sum total of Christianity. So what do we do after prayer? Verse 17 says this. He's moving into some 
action here. He says, God, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. Here's the idea is that this word has to get in me. It has to, it has to change me. This, this word has to be a part of my daily use and conduct and life and obedience. He wants this word to transform my heart. He wants this word to sanctify my heart. So it's not just enough for me to read it if it doesn't get inside of me. Here's what Jesus is praying. Transform them, sanctify them, set them apart with this truth. In other words, this truth guides everything in our lives. It guides how you do marriage. It guides how you do parenting. It guides how you do singleness. It guides your generosity. It guides your vocation. It guides how you vote. It guides how you do justice. This word should be the final arbitrator in our life despite what culture says. Just set them apart with the truth, but not just that. Then he says, verse 18, I love it. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I want you to say it again. Verse 18. Let's go slow. I'm almost done. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Into the world. One more time. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Recently, I'd done, I did a wedding, and I love weddings. I love marriage. I love the idea of it. I think it's wonderful and beautiful. And this couple is coming down the aisle, and the guy is standing there next to me, and the bride is coming down the aisle. It's a beautiful deal. And then she comes up, and, and then he takes her hand, and they both face me and stand right in front of me. Here's these two single people about to become one. I want to show you a marriage in our text. I don't know if you see it, but I want to show you this marriage in the text. Here's the marriage. Don't miss it. It is sanctify them with your truth. And as you send me, I send them. One more time. Sanctify them with your truth. And as you send me, I send them. Here's this, this marriage of sanctification and sending coming together in the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. In other words, it's hard for you to get the sanctification that God's calling you into if you never go. If you delay, if you say maybe next time, next year, if you say that's for those really spiritual people, if you never go into those conversations he's calling you to, go into those disciple-making opportunities that he's calling you into, go into the world that he's sending you into to be salt and light in, in business, in advertising, in marketing, in, in entrepreneurship, in whatever it is that God's calling you into. If you never go, then you sit in your quiet time and in your prayer and you're asking God, sanctify me, sanctify me, but you're missing a partner. And if you and if you if, if you're just always going and you're never spending time in his word and allowing him to transform you the way he's he desires to transform you, then you're just this empty missionary. Moving and active without substance and power. Oh, but what he wants in this marriage, what he wants in, in, in this in this partnership is this idea that God sanctify them because I'm sending them into the world and as they go. I'm going to sanctify them as they go. And then as they are being sanctified, I'm going to send them. And then as I send them, I'm going to sanctify them. In other words, it's this journey with Jesus. And every step I take, he's sanctifying me and then sending me again. And as he sends me, he's sanctifying me in the sending. There's this partnership that I think Jesus is getting after in our text. And this is what I want to encourage you into. Don't wait 
but go. Don't wait, but go, because as you go, you're being sanctified. Here Jesus is, he's about to get off the scene and he's leaving this in the hand of a feeble 11 men that are inconsistent, that are fearful, that don't have it all together, don't come from great pedigree. But here Jesus sends them and these 11 men turn the world upside down. Isn't that an amazing picture for what God is calling us into? That as we pray, as we spend time engaging with the Father, he's sanctifying us and he's sending us. Man, I remember a hangout just a bit ago and and one of the questions I asked one of the girls in the hangout was, man, how do you endure uh, overdoing ministry over a long period of time? And one of the things she said, it was so powerful. She said, I try to remember God don't need me. And I just want to say that to my own heart and I want to say that to you. God does not need you. He'll call you to join him in the renewing of all things, but he does not need you. One of the things you reminded us as you pray is how big God is and how small you are. He doesn't need you. He'll get it done without you. He promises. He watches over his word to perform it. He promises. He works everything according to the counsel of his own will. He'll get it done. But maybe this morning he's, he's beckoning you again. And isn't that what the father does? Time and time again. Beckon us to join him, beckon us to be bold, beckoning us to be sanctified by his word, beckoning us not to be like the world and to think like the world thinks, but to be those that are called out, that are chosen, that are set apart. So my homework for you today is to surrender. It's to surrender to what God is calling you to do. My challenge for you this week is that you would Uh, find someone and that you would share two things with them. One thing you're praying for personally, maybe it's something you're praying for personally. It could be, it could be anything. It's one of the things I loved about the sermon last week. It just reminded us that we need to take everything to God. So I want you to find one person. Maybe this person is in your community group. Maybe this is another friend that you have. Maybe this is somebody that you're thinking about discipling. And maybe there's someone that names the name of Christ. I don't know who this person is. You do. Find one person, ask them to pray for you something, for for something personal, and then ask them to pray for something missional. What is the next missional step God's calling you to do as it relates to sending you? And let's take those things before dad, papa, pops, that loves us. And let's ask God to do amazing things for his glory and our good so that much would be made of Jesus and not of ourselves.